with this. Is my hair too poofy? <laughs> Mine, mine's getting poofy too. I think I'm just about to do for a cut. I hated ass as a kid too. I hate, <laughs> hate them. My hair was not meant for it. I don't know. Nice. Yeah. I, like, I, like, I like the rakish angle you had of that. Yeah. Maybe I'll go with the kid. What, what's the uh, Will Smith? Is that yeah. too soon? Is that too soon? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. So, so Michael, I have to tell you, just kicking it, kicking this off into, and just jumping right into it, uh, yeah. because this will come out in May-ish or whatever, where wherever mm-hmm. we are on the schedule. I, I just want to tell the audience, like, like this, literally this past weekend was the Mission Chicago um, convention, uh, Star Trek convention, and uh, I didn't go, but uh, I was, I was on Twitter and I was paying attention to what everybody was posting, and clearly everybody had a good time. Uh, hopefully people were safe. I didn't, you know, not to sound like a prude, but I didn't see a lot of masks in the pictures. So I'm a little nervous that there's going to be a whole bunch of COVID reports coming out of it. Uh, but everybody was clearly having a good time. And and boy, I tell you, we are in such a golden age for Star Trek right now. It is ridiculous just how much great stuff is out there. And I'm not, you know, even talking about the game, but I'm talking about like so many series that are out there, so much cool product coming out by all the other licensees and licensors. There's there's games, there's new video games coming, there's new books coming, there's all kinds of cool stuff coming. And I am just, like, I don't know about you, Michael, but I am just excited to be involved in one little piece of it. And like, I you know, I know Modiphius's Star Trek Adventures RPG is one very, very small piece of a very extremely large puzzle uh, that's, that is Star Trek. And I'm just so excited that uh, we're reaching people all around the world. Uh, Eliza Pearl, the, uh, the wonderful uh, Game Master, Eliza Pearl. You've seen her on um, a couple of different shows. Uh, and now, of course, now that I'm mentioning, I'm completely blanking. I think she was on uh, Clear Skies, and she she ran Blood of the Void, uh, the Klingon uh, campaign on Twitch. I, it might have been Twitch. Maybe, maybe it wasn't Twitch. Maybe it was something else. But anyway, she ran some events for us at the convention. Nice. Great response. Was super excited about um, showing people the game. We're oh, going to wow. try to do more conventions here pretty soon, but I'm just so excited that... Uh, we're, we're slowly getting the word out about this game into more venues and to more people. So, uh, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I was reading an article recently. The article was posted late last year, I think, but I wasn't aware. And, you know, they don't release detailed numbers, but mm-hmm. on Paramount Plus, Discovery was the number one stream show. Yeah. And I don't know if it still holds it into 2021, but I'm like, wow, wait till they see Strange New Worlds and then there's Prodigy. And so it's it's nice. I, I think all Star Trek fans, we sit on the edge of our seat when something new is released because we're like, don't do something that makes people not like Star Trek, you know? And so we're very sensitive and connected to it. Yeah. But the response and the new audience coming in, I was looking at the tweets and um, Facebook and social media on uh, what was happening in Chicago too. And it was nice to see such a mix of fans. I've been to a Star Trek convention like 25 years ago, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know? And, and oh, actually longer. Wow, I'm old. Okay. I've been to a Star Trek convention about 35 years, maybe 30, wow. 35. I remember that was my first one. And and uh it was definitely different, you know. And now the the look and people dressing up and picking their favorite character, there's so many more to choose from. Yeah. I, I think it's it's really nice. I think we're we are definitely in the, the golden age of Star Trek again, once again. Yeah. 
Cool. Cool. So Very with cool. that, one of the things I know we like doing, oh, for some of you who've just jumped in, this is continuing conversations where we oh, yeah. talk <laughs> about everything Star Trek Adventures and Star Trek. I'm Michael Dismuke. I'm a freelance writer for Modifius Star Trek Adventures line. Also one of the bloggers on Continuing Mission, which is the number one fan site for Star Trek Adventures as of uh, today so far. Jim, you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, sure thing. Jim Johnson. I am the project manager and line editor for the Star Trek Adventures RPG published by Modifius Entertainment. Yeah, I'm still I'm still uh, vibing off of last week's show where we talked about mission briefs and oh, we had the bridges, we had Tony Pye, we had Al Spader. That was so fun. Um, and so one of the things we're doing today is we wanted to get some fan love out there and get questions answered that have come up on social media. So we thought this is going to be a grab bag show, right, Jim? Absolutely. Yeah, let's, let's, let's hit it. Yep. Do you want to preface it first before we start talking about our opinions? Because this is going to be a lot of, you know, oh. us as RPG game masters. <laughs> We're going to be yeah, spitting right. a lot of game here, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we, uh, we, we uh, actually, Michael was gracious enough. He threw a question up on the, the uh, Star Trek Adventures uh, Facebook group. It's a uh, unofficial group, but it's a great, great community of people playing the game, running the game, as, answering questions about the game. New, new fans are coming into it every week. We always welcome them with open arms. Of course, Idik, one big happy family, one big happy fleet. Uh, anyway, so we, uh, Michael threw out the, the grab bag question saying, look, what kind of stuff do you want us to talk about on this show? And we got some really interesting responses that really necessarily didn't really have a lot to do specifically about the game and the game mechanics itself. But it was more like, you know, how do you get certain types of players involved? How do you get certain roles more actively involved? Like, you know, my, my con officer has got nothing to do episode after episode. What do I do with them or her? Um, you know, how about, uh, you know, how are uh, colonies different from star bases, different from starships? You know, these, these kind of questions. And um, I, I want to preface this just by saying that, that we're heading into a, a field of conversation now where it's really just going to be me and Michael riffing off these questions because none of this is official. None of it's canon. A lot of this is getting into the, into the territory of make it up and make it work for your game. Like, you, you know, if you ask these questions of 10 different game masters, you're going to get 10 different responses. And I just so want don't, to, we don't want you to testify us against us in court. If we're yes. ever called the court on right. this, none of this is we're saying is set in stone. Right. And, and none of this, like like most of what we're talking about, probably won't find itself into a book. It's not official content. You, know, you don't go don't go to your game master and say, well, Michael and Jim said on this episode of the continuing conversations that it's this way. So it has to be this way. It's like because no, because this is a toolkit. So please just like, you know, ignore what we're saying. Right. Or 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 dig for some of those little golden nuggets that I'm sure we'll stumble into here at some point. But uh, so I, I, I will admit my players say I'm the best game master in the galaxy. So if you really <laughs> want to use the stuff I'm saying, then you're more than welcome to. <laughs> so so anyway, just, you know, disclaimer, this is just two GMs riffing on these questions. That's about as far as I'll go with it. So with All that right. being said, let's let's jump into the first one here, Michael. Okay, so this one's actually come up since the inception of the game. And I know we've talked about it in other podcasts, but I figured let's deep dive answer this one today. And it's about, man, I feel that I'm playing a counselor, but they don't really get used or I'm playing a CMO, a chief medical officer, and they really uh, don't get used that much. So I, I have never had that problem. <laughs> and it's so I want to talk about what mechanisms I use in order to make sure that the counselor and CMO are engaged. So mm -hmm. let's start talking with the CMO. We'll finish with the counselor. But for the chief medical officer, I remind everyone, 
if you're not sure how to use the chief medical officer every game, watch the original series because that was the master class on having Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. I mean, we, when you picture it, you picture those three standing together all the time and having something to do. A uh, chief medical officer in Star Trek is actually a key away team member. I mean, think about this. If I'm going on a camping trip, how often would you like somebody there to know first aid? <laughs> and that's the way I treat the CMO in our game. It's like, oh, uh, we're going somewhere where we don't know the atmosphere, the animals, the flora, the fauna. We don't know if you're going to get shot, fall down a cliff. Um, CMO, come along. So I, I've always had this issue. I'm like, I don't understand how you don't think the CMO is a crux character in a game. Jim, do you agree? Uh, I agree. I agree. Yeah, I think um, especially the original. You brought up a great example of, these, of the original series. And I think what what players really need to, or players and game masters, I guess, really need to think, especially players, actually, let's talk about players here. If you're the chief medical officer, use Bones as your model, because how often was he on the bridge for no good reason other than he was on the bridge, right? Like, like, because he was, he was buddies with Kirk and he was, he loved to spar with Spock. And it's like more often than not, he was on the bridge just because they needed to make sure that they gave things for, uh, for for DeForest Kelly to do right, but uh, you and know, come you up with at, a reason. You know, make it happen. Maybe one of your chief medical officer's values is I got to be on the bridge, or things happen on the bridge, or like whatever. Maybe maybe they have career aspirations to to become the captain of a uh, of a uh, medical ship, right? Maybe maybe they want to become a, a captain and they take the opportunity to take command level courses and spend some time on the bridge or whatever. But uh, yeah, um, yeah, McCoy. I think McCoy and. Um, I mean, I can go on this year are two yeah. great examples of doctors who do things and they're not just sitting in sick bay all, all the time waiting for things to happen to them. They go out and they do stuff. I was going straight to Bashir, too, and yeah. even a little bit of Crusher, too, because one of the greatest things you saw mm -hmm. about um, Beverly Crusher, she was also skilled in infiltration. She was not just a medical officer. She yeah. had other things she knew how to do. Um they wrote her in also as a potential romantic interest to Picard. Mm -hmm. um, going back to Bashir, um, he, on a space station game, the CMO is everywhere. Because think about all the illnesses that are going on at any time. Um, and you talked about McCoy being on the bridge at all time. I think the reason why was, if you think about the role of a captain, they're in the highest stress position. They have a lot of lives on, on the line, a lot of people they're responsible for. Um, their mental sanity and their mental health and their stress level who's watching that constantly in these in the in the when things are exploding that chief medical officer actually has a responsibility as one of the only people who could actually get that captain out of the chair that's right. right so you could play your chief medical officer as that person who's kind of just checking in hey are you all right captain hey take the pulse of the crew how are they doing Anything that happens could could throw a Starfleet officer insane at any moment with all the crazy stuff they see. And the CMO is specially trained to help people maintain uh, their sanity in these crazy situations. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and, and that's just that's just the, the chief. Like, like, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about like these our characters as people. Right. Because they got. They're not just their job, right? They have other things that make them a rounded character. Mm. Uh, but as the chief medical officer, sure, you are you are in a unique position on the ship to be able to relieve that captain of command, and and that's I mean, not that you want to be on a power trip to do it, but like that is some of the awesome responsibility that is on your shoulders 
um, in that role, in that in that in that particular role. Um, and that's just something to keep in mind because that's something that a game master can totally use. And I've, I've done it plenty of times where I put the captain into a really crappy position and the chief medical officer player was like, Oh, wait a minute. That's my, that's my job. Hold it. I got, I got to do something now. I got to, I'm responsible for, you know, scanning the captains like, Oh, there's something not right here. He's being, he or she was being influenced by alien brainwaves or something. And you're, you've been compromised. So you need to, and that, and that gives the first officer an opportunity to step up or another character to step up. Uh, so that's a piece of it. Uh, the other thing that the chief medical officer does, and this is instant built-in role-playing potential for everybody on the ship, because the chief medical officer is responsible for conducting um, um, medical exams, physical exams, yeah, physical exams, like making sure that the crew is in good health, mm-hmm. and that is a perfect opportunity. That, I mean, that that is one of the. I don't want to say it's cheap, but it's easy. Uh, that's one of the easiest opening teasers I, I tend to drop into a campaign from time i try not to overuse it but uh, it's like hey chief medical officer you open up the episode with uh, you conducting a, a physical exam of uh you know player character who hasn't been doing a lot lately there's your scene go and uh, and then you, and you just immediately kick it off you're you're in the sick bay you're doing your medical evaluation and you're having you're riffing on some sort of conversation i can drop in a subplot nurse x comes in with some sort of thing going on and then you know the episode's off and running or whatever i but, love it but that, yeah, I mean, that's I mean, just a super easy way to get to get some connections with your character, with the other characters, and and give you things to do that aren't necessarily like, okay, I'm the band-aid for the group and I'm just waiting for someone to get hurt. <laughs> right. And game and game masters are God. So you can yeah. give someone a, a sprained ankle from their last holodeck incursion, mm-hmm. or you could have somebody if they take one or two stress on the bridge after getting hit by a photon torpedo, break their wrists, you know, or twist their wrist and send them to, 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 to the medical bay to talk about the situation. Once you've gotten there, say, hey, what's going on on the bridge? Well, what's the captain doing about this? Op- ask a lot of open-ended questions as CMO and mm-hmm. you can be a pulse onto what people are feeling. Um, also, if you think about all the chemicals and all the radiations that you're dealing with constantly on a ship, mm-hmm. the CMO has a lot of work to make sure everyone's doing physically well and not in danger, in addition to scanning alien life forms and finding out compatibility issues with those. So I just, I just don't understand a CMO ever being bored. Yeah. <laughs> That's just, yeah. And you know, also, also, again, we still haven't even talked about them as characters, as, as people yet, right? With right. all the different things that they could have going on. Remember that medical, chief medical officers, especially, are, um, are scientists, Right. They're, they might be biologists. They might be chemists. They might have other skill sets. Mm-hmm. And chief medical officers are right there on the forefront of new medical anomalies and new medical discoveries. And especially I think Bashir is probably the best example that I can think of off the top of my head. Crusher to a lesser extent, but Bashir, especially they made points in the course of DS9 to, to illustrate that he was he was working on experiments and studies and reports and papers like kind of in the background over the course of seasons. And that, I mean, that translates directly into the scientific method and to extended tasks, right? Like there was a couple episodes where he was working on trying to find a cure to some horrible contagion. And it took, like, it wasn't a quick and easy one episode and I'm done, right? It was, it was long-term study that he was working on. And I think that's an opportunity for a chief medical officer to, to take on a really interesting extended task and, you know, pick away at it over the course of the season or even a couple of seasons. If the game master is creative enough to come up with something cool and say, hey, here's this weird thing that's affecting this region, region of space. No one understands it. The, that's an opportunity for the chief medical officer to say, oh, you know, you know, this is a 
this could be uh this could be an important uh dissertation or something that i can you know yeah. get into. if i was playing a ds9 game i'd be having my doctor all over ketracel white all day yeah. it's like you better figure out how mm-hmm. to for one figure out how we detect changelings and get me some replacement for Ketracel White so we can yeah. free these people from the Dominion. I mean, again, there's just so many ways with a CMO as scientists. Remember, they're in the sciences division book. Don't don't make them like our current medical doctors who only study one thing, podiatry, mm-hmm. you know, that these are broad scientists who have chosen biology um, and the biological sciences to focus on. But it, but in the Star Trek universe, there's so many things you need to know how temporal anomalies will affect the human being transporters. They have to, they have, they're a wide breath of knowledge for that. We can go out on day all day talking about how to use the CMO in games um, mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. And then, and then, and then my, my, you know, the second half of that answer, and this is going to be true. I mean, literally if, if we do more of these episodes for all the other roles too, the, the second piece of this is going to be my stock answer. So we maybe we'll, maybe we'll say it once and never, never, never discuss it again. But then, you know, the other part of like, how do you keep your character involved in the game is, is going to be true for all of them is that, and that's lean into your values, lean into your focuses, lean into your talents and lean into the character as a character. Like Crusher is a good example, right? Crusher had a lot of stuff going on. She also happened to have a son on the ship with her. That's, instant subplot potential right there there's all kinds of a stories b stories that you can do that they did with uh with wesley and crusher and how that whole dynamic worked i think they did the parent dynamic a little bit better with uh, cisco and jake um but uh, that might be my bias showing <laughs> i think well, i think Crusher. i mean crusher and wesley they did what they could but it got awkward when crusher left in the second season and then she came back and and then, and then wesley left and it was just you know unfortunate but uh yeah you know your character has things to do that isn't necessarily involved with being the chief medical officer. So maybe give them some interesting focuses, give them some interesting values that have nothing to do with the medical profession, right? Maybe they've got some lingering backstory that they need to resolve. And that gives them an opportunity to do things that, that are outside of the, outside of sick bay, you know? One of my, one of my favorite focuses I've talked about before is biomimetics, looking at the natural order of things in order mm-hmm. to reverse engineer it for scientific purposes. The CMO it could be looking at a technological issue and could be the one to roll the reason plus medicine to be like, oh, you know what? This is just like an Anduvian landworm from Zartan 3. And, you know, that happens in nature all the time. We see that a lot in discovery with the mycelial network. So again, um, come on social media and ask us for ideas if you're running out. Me <laughs> and Jim will go all day on how do you see yeah. those. As last a- last <laughs> thing, last thing, only because it's relevant. Yeah. It is, is um, also... And this is where session one comes into play. Like we're going to make this the whole package here. It's not, it's not just, you know, isolated things. This is the whole Star Trek adventures package is lean into that session zero and talk to your other players and work with them to come up with things that your player, that your medical officer can do with them. And here's a great example. The, the, the last campaign I ran last year, all three player characters, no, three of the, three of the four player characters all had like independently, they started coming up with this. And then at session zero, they really honed in on it. Three of the four player characters all had long-term recurring medical issues of one degree or another. And so, and they were all connected to the non-player character chief medical officer. So that chief medical officer had had interesting backstories with all three of them, but was also like their primary care provider in terms of like he was aware of their particular medical issues. And and those were all ongoing subplots over the course of of the campaign where he was touching base with them on a regular basis working with them with their particular medical issues. 
And and that you can't just create that. That 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 was the players taking upon themselves to come up with it at session zero. And then it got to the point where I was like, man, I wish I was playing this game because I would be playing this doctor as my player character. This is because mm. there's so much cool stuff going on with all the player characters. Plus, I plus I gave the, the, the doctor some cool stuff to do as an NPC, right? He has some cool focuses and talents and uh, and values. Um, but so you know, don't you know, not say don't. <laughs> rely on your rely on your fellow players to give you cool things to do too because if you're in it together don't just think that you have to come up with all the stuff yourself you, you work with them to come up with plot hooks and, and connection points and things that you can do with your with your doctor character that's not just you know you internally thinking what am i going to do with this next session i'm bored uh whatever because if you're bored then um maybe you're not being creative enough uh, right. so, so work with your game master and work with your players and if all else fails Put them on the USS Osler Division 14 ship. <laughs> there you <laughs> go. You'll, you'll have medical issues to do it all day long. Oh, Lower Decks reference yeah. there, Division Absolutely. 14. Absolutely. Right. I, I, <laughs> I could go on about that, but yeah, yeah definitely that would be fine. Now, now, let's segue over to counselors, okay? Again, <sighs> ships, counselors, you know, we're going to, of course, go right to Deanna Troy. And need I say that her role you know, it developed. She matured a lot. I, I, I'll admit she was one of my least favorite characters when TNG started. Now she's one of them. I'm in love with the woman, you know, um, because how they developed her character over decades. And the chief counselor is, as Picard really says, is, is the heart, the sounding board for him. Mm-hmm. Our counselor on our game is constantly checking in with people and has become it to me, if they really push it, becomes the invaluable narrator of the game in finding out what people are feeling. Because, you know, it's like if you go to work, you could work, you know, two, three months anywhere and not really express your feelings. But imagine if there was someone assigned to come up to you and say, hey, how are you managing the job? How's the stress of the job? Do you have any questions? Mm-hmm. And they just hit you with open-ended question after open-ended question. All of a sudden, I know it's my players start getting into feelings that change the next scene completely. So I, we just introduced, well, we've always had a counselor on board um, since season three of our game played by Aaron Paulier, who later became the chief science officer. That was an interesting uh, switch of position. And then another, and then I was like, we got to have a counselor and the, another person took up the counselor. And again, now I leave them, I leave the characters in the room with the counselor and I say, go play no dice rolls and so much magic comes out of it do you have a counselor have you played counselor a counselor at all uh we didn't have the counselor uh actually no the counselor was a npc i think um i i have not had an opportunity to play counselor um and in fact now that i think about it i think most of my campaigns it's ended up being an npc um gosh i can't remember now Mm -hmm. um but uh yeah i think uh, again the counselor so like the especially in the next gen era right the counselor and the first officer are the ones who are responsible for all the crew evaluations, right? So again, there's an instant opportunity for you to interact with literally everybody on the ship or on the station because you have an opportunity to do role-playing scenes with so many people and just to ask those open question, open-ended questions. How are they doing? Are they fit for promotion? Are they fit for a change of duty? Do they need a break? Do they need some uh, some mandatory R&R? Are, you know, is the stresses of the, of the job getting to them? That kind of thing. Um, Two I other think. areas for the, the yeah. counselor that I think about that, again, ours can be almost in every scene when then an antagonist is there and maybe gets caught, captured, 
the counselor doesn't have to be a betazoid. They're psychologists, they're psychiatrists. They know human, they know, you know, body language. And so they go in and they start doing extended tasks on getting this person to reveal stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, they work in that capacity. And then again, a counselor is key on diplomatic missions, key on diplomatic missions. And so for, for our game, whether it's talking to players, uh, interrogating people or going on diplomatic missions, there's a lot to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, even mechanically, I think, uh, if I remember right, there's, there's means now, uh, in terms of like talents, for, for a particular character to, to take on more than one role, right? So you could be the first officer and the counselor, yep. or you could be the chief medical officer and the counselor, or or you can just kind of subsume the counselor duties into whatever other role you are. And I think uh, Culber is a great example of this, where he's the, like, like, just the writers have been able to do more with him over the last couple of discovery seasons to where, yeah, he's a doctor. As far as we can tell, he's not really the chief medical officer. He's a doctor on the discovery, but now he's taking on these counseling kind of duties where he's taking it upon himself to, to connect with people on a, on a more professional, different, you know, psychological level. And, um, and it's really meaningful. It's like really good, juicy drama, which is, I mean, part and parcel of Star Trek, right. But that's where you get the characters that come out and you get the interactions and development. And uh, even um, uh, uh, Admiral Cornwall was a, was a, was a psychiatrist in her profession before she became an admiral. And like, you see that when that whole interaction she had with the, with Lorca was uh, like, like pure counselor psychology stuff going on uh, where yeah. she was like there to evaluate him. <laughs> and, uh, um, but anyway, so I, a lot I is how, that. you know, and, and players are lo- uh, left with a lot of leeway on what talents and what focuses and what values, as you said, they give their character. So I know in our game, there's two focuses that I play off of one. Um, he has a focus of golf. And then the other focus is security encryption. So remember, Starfleet characters are well-rounded. He chose counseling and he was assigned to counseling on the ship, but he actually is really good at security encryption too. So he'll be on the bridge many times at the auxiliary thing, like, hey, let's decrypt this, or hey, let me run something on this. He has that additional set. The golf, I've noticed, he tends to try to use to say, hey, come to the holodeck, let's talk. And so he create, he come play golf, but it actually is, is a... Uh, a cover for the fact that you're in a counseling session that you would not have accepted otherwise. So I really like it creates that our game, you know, some, some uh, TV shows have holodecks that they constantly go back in into the 1940s or they mm. go at a beach resort in ours golf is becoming the recurring holodeck scene, which is kind of fun, That's um, cool. you know, for us. So, so again, both CMOs and counselors so much you could do. It's really about how you, make them a mainstay of your ship or station right yeah yeah absolutely and, and you know shameless plug because i because i i can do it the the science division book and the player's guide provides a lot of options here too they really do deeper dives into the science division in the science book and then the player's guide uh al spader did a great job adding more details to each of the roles that are out there so i encourage you at least check those things out just to, just for more ideas if nothing else like if, if me and michael's riffing here doesn't isn't enough um, and you know, oh, I don't know. Watching the show <laughs> isn't enough. You know, go go check out those resources and uh, mm-hmm. and and just get creative. Although I guess uh, to a lesser extent, maybe watching some television shows that are based on the medical profession. Uh, I honestly, I haven't watched a lot of them, but there's tons of great medical dramas mm-hmm. out there uh, that yeah. might give you some ideas too about what what do doctors do when they're in their element, right? Uh, yeah. Or when they're fish out of water or whatever. But uh, I'll, a lot of and I'll go. Yeah, and I'll go back to mentioning what we've talked about before. If you're really writing a Star Trek episode, 
a really writing a Star Trek episode, you have an A story and a B story. So maybe the A or B story doesn't fit the CMO. Well, that's fine. Make the alternate story all about the CMO. Um, and so during a game, you could keep switching scenes and going back and forth. Again, the Game Master's Guide, like not plugging it, but it talks about how to cut scenes. And so people don't feel left out um, of a game. So whew, that's a lot. Of, I could, We can keep going about CMO and counselors, but we have two yeah. other subjects we want to address. Sure thing. Okay. So this one uh, was a comment um, where they wanted us to talk something about how ground-based frontier federation colonies, that's super specific, are created and organized and how they could be used as a setting. Let's break that up into two parts, okay? So ground-based frontier federation colonies created and organized. What, what pops up in your mind right away, Jim? Um, so, so, yeah, this is, this is a place where, uh, canon, like, we're not going to find an answer in the vast majority of Star Trek episodes, because, like, nobody, I don't want to say nobody cares, but, like, it's not important to the episode why that colony was founded, other than to say the, the Federation certainly has plenty of resources, but uh, I am confident that the Federation is not going to plop a colony onto a planet for no good reason, Right. Like I, now, granted, in the '60s, there was probably a colonization angle to where the Federation was expanding. They were out colonizing. We we know that there are some current political issues with the whole colonization, uh, com, you know, element of things. But for the sake of this discussion, let's just say the Federation is not going to go find a planet and go, oh, let's drop a colony on there. There's got to be something on that planet that is an important resource or an important anomaly. Or there's something going on on that planet. Maybe it's its location. I mean, location, location, location is always important for real estate, right? But yeah, there's got to be expansion. there's got to be a reason, and this is a story reason. There's got to be a story reason that the Federation would bother to put a colony on that planet, mm -hmm. and um, that in and of itself is um, just ripe for story, right? Yeah. Like, why is that colony there? There's got to be a reason, and uh, you know, work with your players to find out what that reason is. Right. There could be one or two reasons. And I'm thinking, man, do we have a random table for this anywhere? <laughs> I might need to roll that. Maybe, <laughs> maybe create sure. a random table because mm -hmm. it could be that one, it's along a well-trafficked space route. It could be strategically important to commit connecting to a subspace relay. In addition, it might also have a lot of dilithium in the mountains. And in addition, it could be agriculturally favorable. And so some, some farmers want to set up shop there and no one's claimed the planet yet. You could mix that and now all of a sudden you're playing sim city what kind of systems do you need to support this city mm -hmm. schools and and do you need an uh, army do you need a constable there do you need a couple spaceships patrolling the sector and transporting and how often do ships come and are, what alien species are nearby that also can make trade agreements and protection and what threats mm -hmm. are there so so you, you basically what you're doing is doing deep space nine but mm -hmm. on a rock and and so don't overcomplicate it um, when setting up a, a federation colony. Just answer those few questions. And now I really need a roll table for this. The more I talk about <laughs> it, because yeah, you could yeah. say roll as many as you want, and then right. you can build out from there. I mean, if if I had nothing else to do but play Star Trek Adventures, I think I might pick a colony with one ship that supports it, just so mm -hmm. that you could live in a city. It'd be metaverse, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The, so so we we kind of morphed into. A little bit. How how do they get there? And then how how can they be used for as a setting? Uh, before we jump into how it can be used as a setting, was there anything else you wanted to say about how that colony 
was created slash organized? Do we want to um, dig yeah. into that a little bit more? Yeah, I think what I would do is in, uh, going in, in, say it was the one that ended up being an agricultural mining um, uh, uh, subspace relay post. If I have that, then I need to know who's supporting each piece of it, because honestly, mm -hmm. the subspace relay post might be supported by the Vulcan Science Academy, maybe, maybe they, they, they are the ones who are doing some sort of research and and then the agricultural could just be a bunch of non you know just just citizens of the federation and maybe an alien species and then finally the dilithium mining that's probably a starfleet operation perhaps so now maybe that's where the characters are there but then they have to create different characters to interact with those different segments of the population so that's how i would also design up you know from a operations point of view how it, how it operates and who's walking the streets there, or if you're under a dome, who's under the dome, you know? Yep, yep, and we see that on the original series, especially there's always some sort of colony or space station out there. There's always an administrator. There's always some sort of uh, you know bureaucratic personnel involved that can be foils for the player characters. Um, but yeah, yeah, so I think, I think that covers the whole created organized pretty well. Uh, again, I, in my opinion, there's gotta be a reason for that colony to be there, mm -hmm. you know, it could be it could be five reasons, right? And you know, just come up with it. We'll, we'll work on a, a random roll table and find a book to put it in somewhere. Yeah, and um, and, and again, yeah. that's like you said, that's bleeding into the setting because at right. this point now, I just named three organizations, and now I'm mm -hmm. gonna as a GM create conflicts. So I'm gonna create that the dilithium mine is creating an agricultural problem, maybe with a bunch of people who are like, "Don't mine here, environmental issues." get Starfleet out of here. This is a Puritan society or something like that. And, or the Vulcans have enemies. So where are the wrong, you know, so there's for, I take those three organizations and just create conflict. Yeah. Yeah. Con I mean, conflict is classic. And uh, I mean, for settings, I mean, this is, this is where you get to indulge in some world building, right? Um, like what's the, what's the local flora? What's the local fauna? What kind of strange spatial anomalies are going on in this sector of space or in this, in this uh, star system? Um, um, what, what are the, what's the indigenous life like? Are there sentient uh, indigenous life on the planet? Are, are there not? Um, is there evidence of former sentient life? Are there are there like ancient ruins on the planet? What's the story Ooh, there? Dilithium um, mining may dig up something really interesting. Yeah, exactly. Um, how about some interesting life forms that uh, that the player characters could run into? What's the weather like uh, near your colony? Is there some strange gravity? You know, is there some strange weather stuff going on that they can't explain? When the um, subspace relay goes out and the Vulcan science director says, hey, Starfleet, can you help out? And all you have is a runabout to check it out. Yeah, exactly. And that's, and that's an important piece of the setting, too. That's something that DS9 had to deal with is like instead of going out to the adventure, the adventure is coming to you. And so that's another story question is like, OK, so you've created this colony on this planet. Why would the adventure come to you? Like what, what's so important about your planet or your colony? that aliens are going to want to come check it out. The Klingons are going to come check it out, the Romulans, I mean, whoever. Um, there's got to be a story reason, because uh, if there isn't, then your players are going to be bored because there's only going to be so much to do on the planet, right? This is Star Trek, it's big. It's, it's, a, it's a bigger um, story than just one little planet. It's, it's got to have more going on. And uh, what kind of, and, you know, that's a great question, Michael. What kind of ships do your players have at their disposal? Because like, if there's anything that's really important to Star Trek, it's the ships. You know, ships are just as much of a character as any of the people on the sh on the planet. So you got a bunch of runabouts. You have a bunch of shuttles. Do you have a little dinky, um, you know, Oberth class ship in orbit that goes out doing surveys? That you got that that's your uh, that's your emergency ticket off the planet if something goes horribly wrong. Yeah. 
And I'm going to trick stuff. And I'm always going to do stuff like, wow, these Starfleet officers got dropped off and they have a runabout. But an (laughs) old O-Birth class ship fell into possession in one of the farmers. And they use it purely for scientific purposes. And so you have to negotiate with them to get that ship up in up in shape for something something yeah. happens and they, no no don't use it for war you guys are yeah i could just go all day <laughs> yeah and then, and then you know you got to you got you got the, the great thing about uh, uh colonies and stations and stuff is it, such a again ds9 is a great model where you you have the ability to create a huge cast of supporting characters and recurring characters right you, you can you, and you just you can lean right into the old classic westerns of um you got you know prospect prospector jones who comes to the colony once a year to trade goods and then goes wandering off into the wilderness again and you don't see them again for another year but it's always fun when they come back because they got yeah. some sort of horrible thing how about that the, goes how, wrong how about the disgruntled know-it-all retired admiral yeah who, who who retired in the farming community but he still has a lot to say about how things should run around here and, and second guess is the commanding officer at every every possible opportunity. Yeah, right. Not even yeah. commissioned any longer. Yeah, you got you got you know you got uh, uh, Harcourt Fenton Mud who shows up once a once a once a season to to wreak havoc and then disappears again. So I mean, yeah, and, don't just, for, and don't forget the Klingons who come by because it's on their trade route on their yeah. patrol route, so they yeah. hit the bar up and wreck town every so often. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, so I mean, as, as a setting, it's great because like again, you know, look at DS Nine instead of it being wagon train to the stars and you're in a, a ship going off and exploring you've now established a frontier town somewhere and and you've got all those personalities and all those tropes and all those uh um yeah. story possibilities to lean into yeah so i guess my answer is simply if i was would, would put it simply is if i was to run a season of this i'd have three organizations with conflicts I would have each organization represented by one or two real big personalities. You know, this is, you could think of this almost as city council, you know, make sure it's an, uh, an, an odd number of people too, so that you lose and win votes every so often. And then I, I would send in, you know, uh, that season, three or four things that come from off planet, some problems that have to take them off planet or people who drop by in a love boat style fashion, you know, and, and yeah, I mean, easily it could make this a fa- a fascinating game. Yeah. Yeah. And, and just to, to some, to, to add one last element, I, I know we could go at this all day, but uh, a station um, a colony kind of story would is also well-suited for players who don't want to play Starfleet. Right, so if you want to play uh, um, any of those roles that are in the uh, player's guide that are not Starfleet, so you could be an expert or a bureaucrat or a diplomat or a, a, a local uh, spiritual figure, maybe. Yeah, a Vulcan um, spiritual leader or some yeah. other species that went out there. Yeah, it, there's, it's this game is just phenomenal. I mean, it, you put me anywhere on a mining colony with only 12 people and you can create stories all day. <laughs> you know, with, with this. So good. This, this actually uh, bridges well into the next question. We're going to put our last question um, that we're going to tackle today from the grab bag. And it said, someone wanted to learn, like, what about if we talk about JAG or courtroom drama in Trek? Mm-hmm. Um, they said, <clears throat> apparently Starfleet officers can just suddenly be asked to be lawyers. Yes, that is true in some cases. So looking at plot threads for those sorts of uniquely social extended challenges. So um, let's talk a little bit about JAG and, and um, legal issues in Trek. Are there any episodes that stand out in your mind, Jim, when you think about, you don't have to know the exact name of the episode, but do you remember the situations when it comes to legal issues? 
Uh, yeah, if I remember right, there was a couple in the original series. I think Court Martial is the first one that comes to mind. And then there was, uh, it might have, I can't remember the titles, uh, but Samuel Cogley was a lawyer and he got involved into it. And that might have been Court Martial, I don't remember. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, uh, TN uh, Next Generation had a couple as well, especially the one with um, uh, Measure of a Man when, uh, when uh, Data was on trial. Basically, mm-hmm. is, 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 is he, a, is he a, a thing or is he a living sentient being? And uh, Riker and Picard were both pressed into, uh, um, you know, judging, you know, you being part of the uh, prosecution and the, and the defense. Uh, there's other ones. Uh, Drumhead was another one. Uh, I, I forget I the remember. name of the one, but the one where that wrong, the, the officer was actually Romulan heritage. And so he was brought up to question his suspicion as a. As yeah, that a, was Drumhead. Drumhead. Yeah, that's a brilliant yeah. episode. I think that was really um, good. At that point, yeah. So, so, and there's been other times where they've been called in to intercede for other species too, in some mm-hmm. sort of legal diplomatic way, throughout um, Star uh, Star Trek. I, I think in my game, these have been some of our most pivotal games. Um, it's easy for us because we have one of the only Romulan captains in Starfleet, and so accusations fly when anything goes wrong. There's many within Starfleet who thinks that he is playing the long game for the benefit of the Romulan star empire. And so he's subject to a lot of discrimination and bias and called in on hearings just to be questioned. We're just questioning. No, you're building a case. Um, And this has become one of the most fascinating pieces of our game. The social um, there's two ways we handle it. And we'll ask you, Jim, how you handle it. At first we handled it as extended tasks. Um, I have to say that it's not my favorite way to handle it. Because as a game master, I play very narratively and logically. I don't need the dice to tell me if they're making a good argument or not. (laughs) And so um, we graduated from extended tasks to really just holding a real court case where people bring their evidence. and, And the point is, they have to be proven, you know, guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. So I really lean in. I don't want the players to go to jail. We know that. We know we don't want to put them to a penal colony. So I really make them argue their points. And I come back with really hard evidence and points against them. And they argue and they win every time, even if it's over prolonged over several episodes, the case. But um, that's one of my favorite pieces, actually, of Star Trek Adventures is those is as people acting like they're in the Navy and having to defend their actions, breaking the prime directive, did you disobey orders? Did you sabotage on purpose so that you could do your own thing? Those kind of questions we pull into the game a lot. Hmm, interesting. That's an interesting perspective. I have to admit that uh, I think in 30 odd years of uh, playing Star Trek, I don't think I've ever been a game master, <laughs> you know, in, involved in a, like a courtroom drama kind of thing. And uh, I would struggle to remember doing it as a player. I think there might've been, it wasn't a courtroom drama, but it was, you know, similar where we were involved in, working with an alien species to do some some legalese type stuff but i think uh, it's just never really come up in my games and i don't know if it's because like that whole courtroom drama shtick just doesn't come to me like as a player or as a game master or just like those storylines just don't occur to me i guess hmm. um i will say that we yeah. only one time <coughs> pardon me only one time have we actually had to go into court with three admirals and uh-huh. have that tense scene. And, and the captain at that time was a first officer, had representation. Mm-hmm. How we've dealt with the courtroom drama is the collecting of the evidence beforehand. So maybe it's a conversation. In this case, the first officer is representing a rival captain who's making accusations toward our current captain. Mm-hmm. And, and 
they're collecting evidence, sending psychologists in, uh, the counselor to talk to this rival captain to be like, uh, you're acting out of paranoia and bias. And it's creating all these uh, in, in the quarters and in the, in the uh, ready room conversations mm-hmm. as they're trying to both build their cases. And I don't know whether it'll actually end up in front of a Starfleet Jag or not, but everyone knows they're collecting evidence against everybody else. And, 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 and interestingly, they're coming together in an interesting way uh-huh. through this because I add a, a conflict that makes them come together. So they're not necessarily legal rivals, but the conflict they can both agree on. Hmm. Okay. And will that affect later on someone dropping charges or, you know, I just let it, let it happen as it happens. Yeah. But that's how I treat um, courtroom drama and track is maybe you're right. It's more the collect the science behind the collecting of evidence, be that psychiatry or scientific evidence. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, I did a um, in the player's guide. Was it or was it in the game master's guide? We talk about forensics and how to handle a forensics investigation and also a legal proceeding as an extended task. Mm-hmm. So it is in there, but it's good to look at what the process is because that process would act like beats in a mission brief. Yeah, yeah. and that's yeah. that's where you can go with that. So we got to get you into some sort of legal court case so you can see what it's like. <laughs> two drama yeah. two drama or, comes out or not i mean that's i mean I, yeah and this is this is the great thing about star trek right is it's so it can be so many different things uh like i, I think i've always been more of the um uh optimistic looking outward kind of uh what kind of things can we get into with aliens and, and new discoveries and new explorations as opposed to the more inward focus like oh you know you did this thing and now we're going to, we're going to cross-examine you to find out why you did that thing. And uh, we think you did it wrong and we've got our biases and we've got our prejudices and stuff. And uh, and certainly nothing wrong with it. That's certainly rich, rich with drama potential. Right. But I think that's, that's just never really been what I've been. That's not where I go to find my drama, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like, because we're big on the B stories is that, you know, you're doing your job, but you still have a personal life or even career things going on. Mm-hmm. And it's funny, my players comment that while they're in the middle of an action scene, all they want to do is get back to solving their personal problem. Yeah. <laughs> and I love that because then that gives us, a, you know, when things slow down, they immediately jump back into the narrative, which I really uh-huh. Yeah. Well, you know, you know, exploring personal problems, that's one thing, certainly. But I'm curious, Michael, so like doing all these legal, you know, court cases, and you've got, you know, players pitted against each other doing the the arguments and the and the forensics and stuff like how do you how do you keep that from being becoming an adversarial okay good you know, question role, role playing you know because like you could because like some players are much more effective at thinking on their feet and and you know creating you know legal arguments and and being persuasive and all that stuff but some players that's not what they are good at right and then mm-hmm. and so when you put two players inside that situation how do you how do you adjudicate that in such a way that you know, one character's not being steamrolled. Well, the good thing is, is one thing I appreciate about the game, I do keep it collaborative with the character. So the antagonists, the NPC, are the ones who are always on the rival position. Mm-hmm. And even in this case, we're the first officer, because they're the only available legal representative, have to, um, they were asked by the other captain to be their legal representative. It's still tearing them up inside because they're like, and that, it reminds me of the, the episode where Riker and um, Picard were in, in, in clashing positions yeah. that's the thing there's like i still got to do my job and i think that's many times in starfleet where you have to follow an order even though your gut says no i think that's the conflict um and that happens every episode whether or not they're in a legal battle or not where i'm yeah. 
putting conflicting objectives and values together. So in that way, it plays it, but I won't, I would not allow, um, I wouldn't design in my game where players are fighting against each other. In most games, it's always there. They have a common goal. Even in this case, it means her doing her job well as a first officer and legal representative so that Starfleet true justice can happen, you know? So yeah. It's yeah, really, it's interesting. It's create. it's create, And they were the ones who came up with the idea of, yeah. uh, of who would represent this rival captain. So <laughs> I thought that was, they, they could have picked the NPC, which would have been fine. And so therefore that NPC would have been an antagonist, but they decided to, to use one of their main crew members, which to me, I love that they ramped up the drama like that. <laughs> nice. Yeah, and, and this is probably a good place where um, your your group composition probably plays a role into what kind of stories you're probably going to tell. Like if you have a group of player characters or not player characters, if you have a group of players who who like that kind of storytelling and like that kind of back and forth um, legalese type of stuff, then sure, lean into it and, and give them more opportunities to do that. But maybe maybe if you end up with like for me, now that I'm thinking about it, now that I'm reflecting on all the past players I've had. I don't think I've ever had a group of players that were really interested in that kind of storytelling and in and, and that type of, um, again, not, not intentionally adversarial, but like really having to be persuasive, um, um, not verbalists, but like to be persuasive in, in a, in a courtroom setting, they, it just wasn't their skill set or, or their specialties. And I wasn't in a position where I wanted to push them because like, you know, we're here to have fun, yeah. right? You don't want to be forced into doing something you don't want to do. Well, as you, as right. usual, this story, and this is good that we're discussing this story, what makes it an impetus for them to want to play it. It's actually a mask for um, a lot of the social issues we see happening in the world today, where because someone looks a certain way, yeah. assumptions come. So think about it. Romulan captain. Um, I, I'm not ruining the story by telling it because I'll know the story is trying to prevent the destruction of Romulan supernova because they were told ahead of time that it's going to happen. And so people in the Federation are saying, see, he's serving the Romulan empire. It's like, no, I'm saving lives. And so that story right there is really the crux of the story. And so the NPC is representing the bias of Starfleet, not wanting to help Romulans because they see them only as Romulans is not, not as, not as uh, what did Picard say? people right right he says right. i was here not saving romulan people i was saving people right mm -hmm. and so they're 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 hitched on that they're viscerally attached to picard as a show and that you they have opinions about it so mm -hmm. i drop that in and i show well there's a starfleet legal issue going on here and how are your characters going to navigate that are you going to go rogue to save lives or are you going to follow orders the entire way and so mm -hmm. that's really what i think is the impetus for the players is they're going the kirk route right now <laughs> <laughs> they're they're really they're really ready to take a ship out of space dock and do whatever the heck they want there you go yeah cool so so wow so today we talked about counselors and chief medical officers um, we talked about frontier federation colonies, how to use them as a setting, and we we uh, blabbered on about JAG and courtroom drama in Trek. How do you think we did for our first grab bag show? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm going to be the, the wrong judge of that. I think we have to leave it to the to the group to tell us how how if it was not enough detail or too much detail, or if we uh, if we uh, if we hit the softball into the into center field there. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I thought it was good. I mean, it's always great to riff with you on these things and you've given me a lot to think about as always. And uh, 
you know, I don't have a game to play right now, but because uh, I'm so busy with all this uh, Star Trek stuff. Um, but uh, yeah, it's just really great to just go back and forth and just uh, blow out some of these topics. I, I'm, I'm, I was surprised we got the three of them. Yeah, uh, it inspires so- me actually to like, as we talk, I'm like, I'm gonna have to listen back to this and see if I need to write this into something <laughs> because, yeah. you know, some of it might hit the spot and we would love if you as the fans and listeners tell us what works and even throw us more ideas uh, for future future episodes. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, cool. Anything else you want to finish with, Jim, before we start doing our normal wrap-up? Um, no, man, I think I'm good. I think this is a great information. Just, again, you know, just remember, this is just us riffing. And uh, hope something here was useful and interesting. We'd love to hear about it. You know, use the comments uh, feature or uh, hit us up on Twitter or uh, especially the uh, Facebook group, uh, Continuing Mission, the official forums, the official Discord. Uh, you yeah. know, we'd love to hear your thoughts um on all this stuff because uh you know there every opinion is valid and uh I, I certainly learned just just by reading everybody's posts about all kinds of all the kinds of things that they're doing in their games i i'm always inspired and i always find new ideas to add into my grab bag and uh one of these days i'll run some stuff and uh, people will be thrilled but uh, for now it's just uh this is a great way to generate more ideas yeah, I mean, the, we can see the universe is endless as are our imaginations. There's always stuff to talk about with Star Trek yep. Adventures. Yep. It, it takes us places we never thought we'd see, right? So mm-hmm. let's go ahead and do our normal tradition of shout outs to the brick and mortar. We love the brick and mortar because you're keeping gaming alive at the tables, selling those dice, selling those books, uh, the whole Star Trek Adventures line, plus some. So we want to, um, I have David Corby, who wants to give a shout out to Gamescape in San Francisco. What's up? I'm in the Bay Area. Yay area. You know what's up? So that's good to hear a San Francisco <laughs> shout out. Um, we also have Derek Mann, who shouts out the Game Depot in Tempe, Arizona. He said it's Arizona's longest running game store. Oh my goodness, they closed last week after 43 years, so the owner oh, could wow. retire. But Rick, oh, it says Rick Loomis helped him start up back in the day. So Game Depot in Tempe uh, or Arizona, we're going to have to find out where the game store to go is now down there. So if someone ever wants to shout that out, they can. And then last two ones, Century Box in Calgary, Alberta. That's from Brett Knorr. We love shouting them out. And Jeremy Gipton says Isle of Games in Tucson, Arizona. Not too far from Tempe. Actually, I think it's really far from Tempe. If you're wow. <laughs> several hours, but um, so Arizona got some love and uh, Gauntlet Games in Lincoln, Nebraska. Joe DeMarco says. So look at all those brick and mortars pumping out. Fantastic for the masses. Who do you want to thank before on our way out? Yeah, well, I mean, thanks to all those brick and mortars for being the front lines out there with the fans and uh, and for. Uh, building the hobby like not just the game not our game line but just the, the hobby in general providing a place that people can go and uh and, and and find stuff and find connections and all that great stuff uh for this uh for this episode um i think i'll i'll think i'll you know i, I i'm sure i don't say it enough and i should probably say it every 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 episode <laughs> but thanks to the fans i think um this past weekend was the star trek convention and um i was so in, like I, I didn't go to the convention but i was i was uh, keeping an eye on the twitter feed and like it seemed like 99 percent of my trek trek friends on twitter were there and i wasn't and i was a little jealous but uh i was so inspired by all the pictures everybody posted of their of their cosplays and the costumes and the actors having fun and uh it was just it's so great to see the trek family come together and do just really fun cool stuff and I know the uh, the Star Trek Adventures extended family is a component of that, 
but uh, it just, especially with uh, all the challenges that we're facing in the world right now, it's just nice to see that we have little pockets of of joy that we're able to pull together and create. And uh, I, you know, I know that myself and the whole Star Trek Adventures team, we're doing everything we can to make this game as accessible for everybody. And uh, hopefully we're just bringing a little bit of joy to somebody's world. Uh, like I, I know I've gotten so much joy out of, uh, out of doing this game for the last five and a half, six years now. And um, I, I just hope people are finding joy in it as well. Yeah, Paramount, keep it up. We're happy. We're, totally. we're happy to be able yeah. to do that. All right, then we're signing off from another amazing continuing conversation. I-D-I-C. Peace and long life. Live long and prosper. We'll talk to you next week. All right.